0: Danny, 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 welcome back. How you feeling, buddy?
1: I am feeling a lot better. And I uh, I want to start by just addressing to everyone, first of all, those of you who maybe listened to our um, public service announcement on, on what was my COVID experience, just uh, thank you. Thank you for the well wishes. Got a lot of them on Twitter. And uh I want to just apologize to everyone that I, I had no idea how um, badly affected I was by the Tylenol that I had just taken a half an hour earlier. I took two extra strength Tylenol uh, moths. Apparently, Tylenol is what you take with COVID, not Advil. I don't know why. Mm. Um, but my wife told me that. And I, I had only taken Tylenol a couple times, but I was feeling super achy and chilly that day. And I was going to record the podcast with you. And I was like, all right, I'm going to take some Tylenol thinking that's going to help me power through the next 90 minutes. And then I'm going to hit the bed. And when I listened back to that podcast, I felt just like, I just, I, I sounded horrible. I sounded like I was slurring my speech. And so I just wanted to address that with everybody and apologize. But also, of course, I have been super sick and COVID is COVID is, uh, she's a, she's a fickle beast. We'll say that. So
0: I was actually so worried after the call that had you'd gone to bed, I reached out to Luke, our, our friend, Luke and brother-in-law Luke. And I was like, Hey, you have to call. Shauna, see what's going on. And and we've been privately checking in on you. You don't even know it. I've been checking in with you just to make sure, you know, just want to make sure, you know, that you're all right. We love our Danny and um, I'm glad that you're feeling better and that, uh, that you're back at it. But yeah, you know what? Sometimes, you know, you're so sick, you're just out of it. You have no idea. And that's why afterwards I was like, I need to reach out and double check. Cause you know, I don't know how much Danny is Knowing that who he's talking to right now,
1: <laughs> I appreciate that, and I had no idea that you did that. And I went to bed uh, promptly after our uh, our quick whatever it was five minute recording, and uh, was supposed to be episode six, which is what we're going to get into today. I'm actually super pumped. There's a lot to talk about in this particular one, but but yeah, you know, th- it was um I don't I don't normally take Tylenol. Like, let's say if I'm I get a headache or something like that, I think a lot of people um. Had like whether they take Advil, which is ibuprofen, or Tylenol, which is acetaminophen, right? Um, and I didn't, I didn't have the best reaction to that. That's the honest truth. So anyway, I appreciate it, and uh, you're the best. And I had no idea, so my wife kept that from me that you were checking in with Luke and checking in on me. So there you go. Um, but uh, all is well, and I am feeling much better. You might hear me with a little bit of sniffles, um, in this, but overall, I'm, I'm doing really, I'm doing much better. And it's been a, a wild few weeks over the holidays and New Year, but. But we're back at it, baby.
0: So well, I am glad that you are doing well, and hopefully our listeners are, too. I'm, I'm sure that they are. And welcome to any of our first-time listeners who randomly now yeah. know everything about Danny's <laughs> COVID <know>. experience. <laughs> That's yeah.
1: hilarious. If someone's listening for something, I thought this was a podcast for the Queen's Gambit episode six. It is, and you should have listened to all of the previous episodes, so that wouldn't throw you. But um, But welcome.
0: Yes, and as everybody knows, um, I am James Montemagno. I am a program manager at Microsoft by day, Batman by night, and also a chess. I would say aficionado. No a- expert.
1: Ch- I-, I called you an expert before the podcast started, and you just need to own it now. Like the amount of work that James is putting into the chess positions and his ability to recap what we'll get into later, which of course, of course, is Harman versus Borgoff. Um, I just. I, I told you this and I didn't miss time. Like, I love who you become. Not that I didn't already love who you were. Now you've become a chess expert and it's just, oh man, it gets me going. I'm just going to say that.
0: Well, well, that means a lot to me Well, I am the local chess expert, but really the international chess expert, international master, Danny wrench is with me as always. Um, and he, he is the real person that's going to be break down the chess and the super fast bullet simuls that happen on this episode. Yeah. All right, well, let's get into the beginning then, because yes, I loved the beginning of this episode, but yeah, they're on their way to New York driving, driving with Benny on the road. We're on the road again.
1: Yeah, driving with Benny and they're they're playing blindfold chess. So what was your thought on this as they're playing games in their head?
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you the same thing, which is like, how realistic is this and how often have you done this? Because uh, it is definitely something that I can't follow. So So it's,
1: it's completely realistic and it's it's always one of those fun things that I I, I have to address when like family members, uh, you know, you know, see it on TV or, or talk about it. Or sometimes, you know, um, when I, I like, you know, I've played a lot of blindfold games in my life or, or play even blindfold symbols where you play multiple people. Um, in fact, we'll link in the video here, the show notes. Um, there's a video on, uh, on actually, I think our main chess YouTube channel where I played last time I did this was against 12 kids in Mississippi and it was, we made the video into 10 minutes it took like 6 hours one of the most exhausting things i've ever done but it is it's not a it's not a magic trick it's not a parlor trick when you think about the muscles that make a great chess player as far as the pattern recognition and it's it's like glorified mental math and i think that a lot of people see it and go like like what is the trick you're using are you using like you know, memory mansions, right? The people have said, or memory compartments, or, you know, there's been different things, but overall, you know, chess is, is more of a language. And when you know how to kind of read the board, you're able to keep track of things in your head. And the board itself is more like a medium to communicate to your opponent what move you've made without talking in, in a real environment. But many grandmasters and professional players can play very high quality chess um, in their head. And I did this a lot, especially as a young kid, as I kind of like separated myself from from my peers on our team, our team that won a lot of scholastic championships. And I was like basically a professional chess player at the age of 14. At one point, I was I was every time we would drive for a few hours, I would play a simul against my teammates. I'm You know, just just two or three, sometimes maybe like the most would be four or five. And, you know, um, they, you know, they were, they were weaker players than me, but strong enough that in like a blindfold simul, we would have a lot of fun and a lot of split results and things like that. So it's, it's definitely a thing. And, um, it's actually a very important training method because nothing makes you feel more mentally sharp than playing an entire chess game in your head.
0: Yeah, it's very impressive. And in fact, I've been staring when I go to your, your YouTube channel, there's a YouTube video, it's called how to improve your chess visualization, where you're literally wearing a blindfold, right? Now is that the video I should watch to become a chess expert in blindfold chess?
1: No, uh, no I'm going to look up Danny Wrench blindfold simul, and here we go. I got it, and it's a it's a 12 minute video. I'm going to throw it in our show notes here. And we did a my vi- we my video editor who's awesome, um, one of our video editors at Chess.com. But shout out to Penny. He's been been with us the longest. Does great work. But he kind of threw that together with some music and some fun stuff and kind of intros it and. um that, um, that was a particular simul where I, where I actually did manage to win every game. But I've, I've played, um, I think the toughest blindfold simul I ever played was an eight board simul against eight of my students at something I used to do called a strategy session. Back when my, before chess.com, before the internet was a thing, I was teaching chess professionally and running the gambit of what the normal chess professional coach life is, which is you teach in schools and scholastic enrichment programs lead to those interested in getting even better and and parents who want to, pay for private lessons. And then those groups normally are actively playing in tournaments. And so you end up kind of, you know, doing things on the weekend at times. And I would hold these things called strategy sessions with some of my better students. And one time I played an eight board simul against an average rating of, of over 2000, um, which is expert level. And I actually did not score that well. I scored like five and a half out of eight, which against a, a bunch of kids who I teach who you know, if we were playing straight up over the board blitz, I would, I would, you know, it wouldn't be uncommon for me to just win all 10 games, right? It wasn't the best score. Um, but it was, um, anyway, it's a very difficult thing. I think the world record is held by a grandmaster named Timur Gureyev. In fact, I'm gonna, um, let's see. World Blindfold Chess Simul Record. I think the first, uh, there it is. In fact, if you Google World Blindfold Chess Simul Record, it's actually perfect. It leads to, um, you can actually see Timur Garay of shaking hands with a kid. If You do that right now. Um, Oh, cool. And um, so he, he, I've known Timur for a very long time. He actually won the first ever Copper State International, which was a tournament I held in Arizona. Oh my God. Many moons. I think it was 2009, um, 2010, 2009. um, And Timur, super talented guy from Uzbekistan. um, A bit of a, a bit of a wild card. I'll just say that as far as um, things that happened when Timur was visiting the Copper State International. And, 3 a.m. calls from Fort McDowell Casino in Phoenix. Okay, sorry, I digress. Um, but um, but Timur's a super talented guy and he he's worked on like like memory mansion kind of stuff, right? Stuff that I never did where it takes it's beyond the chess skill. It's like being able to just keep track of that in your head. Um, So he's really a a genius if I had to say so myself. So anyway, sorry, long story short, but I do think this is interesting because I think that it's one of the most unique things that people ask about the show is always how realistic are the chess and then the, the culture of chess. What are they doing? And is that something people would do? Is it useful? Is it even realistic? And so obviously this long winded kind of comment on blindfold Chess says that it very much is and it's a very common thing that players would do to train.
0: Yeah, it's really cool because I, math is one of my favorite topics that I took in, in you know, in high school and in college. And I really enjoy math itself. And I can do a lot of quick math and even a little bit more advanced math, um, all the time, even though I'm married to a math major, like often I can, you know, do some mathematical stuff that, you know, it's almost like Heather, she, her math knowledge is like way more advanced than mine could ever be. So I can do these sort of beginner and intermediate things like really faster right where she can do really complex things it's it's sort of like the opposite yeah but it's like when it comes to, when it comes to chess what's fascinating is you not only need to like be able to make the moves and understand the moves that are there so you're like memorizing so like if I'm, I'm memorizing like you know 40 minus 20 and like this quick math or these multiplications like all the tricks that you've learned but you actually do almost need to have that 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 um photo memory mm-hmm. to be able to say here is the snapshot of the chessboard currently right. and i think that's very very impressive because i can imagine like as you play more and more and more chess that you're going to become better and better at this but i feel like it's a very advanced thing because yeah chessboards are complex they're i mean they're, you're talking about 40 50 moves no it's point.
1: it's super difficult and in fact um you know one I, I got I got particularly good at it um, after having spent the summer of 2002 in Russia, and I trained with Mark Dubarevsky and uh, Sergei Domatov. Um, but the other guy I worked with was Igor Zaitsev, who was at one point the trainer of, of Anatoly Karpov, world champion. And my sessions with Zaitsev were particularly memorable. He was just he was just like an old Russian grandfather. It was awesome. But all we would do was me and Igor. It was the same every time. We would just sit across from a blank chessboard. So there was a chessboard, but no pieces. Right. Mm. And we would make our move by announcing it. So I would say E4 and hit the clock. He would say C5 and hit the clock. And we would write it down with notation. Um, And so we would just play these training games. I think we were playing like 15 minutes aside, rapid games that were just blindfold start to finish. And that process really like, you know, jumped it. So I, I probably have done more blindfold training because of my my Soviet roots, I always like to say, than maybe even some others and, and people that even got better than me, right? Because there is the part of it that is chess. And then there's part of it that you're right. It is a very, it's also a very specific muscle, like the mental math of being able to do something is like you built this specific part of your memory. There's just, there's a, um, uh, a friend of mine who I grew up with a uh, a peer. He was a couple years older, but played in some US junior championships with me. His name was Justin Sarkar a well-known chess player from the uh, New England area. But Justin was just talking about math genius. You can give him three-digit math. So 765 times 586. And like in three seconds, he gives you the answer. Mm-hmm. And, and and so just name any three-digit problem. And like three, I would say five seconds mass, max, he just knows the answer. So, but that's like, he that's like a very like unique and like holy crap kind of skill when you watch it he can give you the answer faster than someone who's standing next to him racing you with the calculator so someone is like trying someone is typing it into the calculator as you're spitting it out and he would have the answer most of the time faster than the calculator so it's a weird thing right it doesn't mean that he's also like solving algorithms of like you know, PhD level, like, you know, mathematicians from MIT, like my buddy, John Urschel, like, no, but in that terms of that specific skill, he probably solves three digit math faster than John can. You know, it's just wild.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's very impressive. And I think it's more of an awe moment when you see it and you understand what's going in, even though it's a very short segment, right? It's only like 30 seconds or so you, you sort of see them play this out in the, in the car on the way, but it's still a very impressive scene. So it's, it's cool to get the, the background of it and, uh, and watch, uh, the, the, the international master Danny at work in these videos. So we'll link to all those in the show notes to so take a look for those, but let's, uh, enter Danny's, uh, um, apartment. Okay. I'm pretty not, sure-
1: not Danny's apartment, Be- Benny's.
0: <laughs> nope. Danny's this is, this is a, <laughs> the first time I entered Danny's apartment. When I first met Danny, <laughs> this was exactly what I um walked into. It was like down in the basement in this old building. Yeah. The doors just barely hanging on. There was magazines of of Danny Wrench, International Master everywhere. Like, and then there were like pizza boxes and and that's uh that was Danny's uh apartment. That was Danny's first apartment you know, that you I know, walked into.
1: As much as it the jokes are it wasn't actually my apartment because I, you know, I was you know, um, married and, um, at a young age uh, with, uh, with the woman I'm still with. So I was, I was much more of like a, kind of like an older, uh, not, not quite the romantic, like single guy chess player lifestyle, but I will say this, I have been in apartments just like Benny's, like no, oh, yeah. and, um, and, and then the the chess scenes that take place there, right. I've been a part of those, those things. And it's, it's pretty cool to see what happened? But I'm going to let you, you dry. I, I don't want to jump. Obviously, we can tell I'm chomping at the bit to get to this chess simul blitz <laughs> stuff because, um, you know, because it's, it's all good. the chest we prepared for this. But, um, but yeah, what were the other things about that? Right. So she goes in. She's kind of like you could tell she's a little socially uncomfortable. He's kind of like, hey, you're going to sleep out here kind of on the floor, gives her a blow up mattress that you pump with your foot, which, by the way, is just awesome right? Um,
0: I had that, I had that written down foot pump. Yeah. Foot pump. <laughs> cause, cause you know, when you go, like when we, um, when we were moving, it's like, we, we oh, always get like an inflatable mattress and you're right. like, they always comes with a foot pump and you're like, Oh, I'm going to spend the extra $10 and get the one that plugs into the wall. Yeah. So I don't have to like sit here all day. Yeah. But you know, there's that point you're like, Oh man, the inflatable mattress is $20. Why do I get spend an extra $10 on this pump? What's well, because right. of this? But you know, it's, it's one of those things. It feels like I've lived through this type of experience yeah. where like I've crashed with a friend. right? And they're like, oh, here's a tiny inflatable mattress. Now, the one that he gave her is is was quite small. It was yeah. like a single person, very on the floor. Like, I'm at least going to upgrade everybody to yeah. a twin or a queen well, size. Well, you, I mean, you
1: just said 20, 30 bucks. I can tell you, as we just moved into a new house, my wife and I, we, and we bought... We don't have a guest room in that, in that sense right now. So we bought a couple of blow up queen beds that are really, that are not only plugging the wall, but of the nicer kind so that we have like couples coming with kids, right? People who be you know, we want them to be as comfortable as possible. And it was, we bought a couple of mattresses that are like 130 bucks. Like, oh yeah. Like they're, they're like nice now.
0: They're like multi-chamber dual yeah, tier. exactly. <laughs>
1: it's like nicer than my bed, you know? Um. Anyway, so yeah.
0: Yeah. And then, um, hands off. And then he uh, says, there's no booze in this apartment and then slams the door shut. <laughs> right. Like Okay. Yeah. And, uh, it was, it was a fa- I mean, you know, I, you know, they're in New York. Right. And I love the scene where she's walking up to the, the door and he's like, no, not that one down here. Yeah, It like, yeah. goes through this. It, it, it was just very reminiscent of like, this is real world. I've lived through this. I've been through yeah. this, like my time in Romania was was similar in, in a few different ways, and my times visiting friends, even in Arizona or even right. in Seattle, were were similar. Right, it's not bad. I mean, it's just like here's the apartment, here's right. what it is, and right. not every apartment is the creme de la creme, chateau de Chant Danny. You know what I mean?
1: What it, it, that that scene reminded me, and my wife, uh, watch, Shauna, watched it with me, and, and we had just what is the show? We just oh the the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt.
0: Uh, oh yeah.
1: Um, which is a great show, right? Like she like comes out of this underground cult after years. And like, then she ends up in this, in this basement level apartment with a roommate, right? In New York. It mm-hmm. kind of reminded me a little bit of that. Like as far as the, uh, you know, the the New York apartment scene of going down rather than up. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so they're getting settled here, right? He, he's almost making like, he's almost like making points with Beth at this point. Like we saw what happened, you know, at the, the last bar scene of scene five where he's like, Hey, no sex. Right. And then he's like, no booze. Right. And he's like clearly like trying to like establish some part of it where he kind of has Beth pegged right now as, you know, maybe a substance abuser. Right. But he's there to like he's there to work on chess with her. Right. So he's really trying to lecture her a little bit, I think, and kind of like lay some ground rules right off the bat, which is sort of interesting. Right. Especially because we know that that's not really the case. When the friends come, they bring alcohol and then, and then parties begin here pretty soon.
0: Yeah. Dan and, and Danny, you know, I think that that Benny really wants to get to work though. And that's the thing he's setting these ground rules because he wants to get to work because yep. literally the next morning before she's even up, he's setting up the chessboard. He has things for her to read. They wants to play these games. The first thing that really caught my attention was I wanted to ask you about it is he hands her like the stack of, of, I guess their records of games, but it's the Hastings Christmas chess, Congress record of games. I I didn't know what this was my here's what my thinking is of it is 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 like you know when you go to a sports ball game and they're like here's the here's like the you know the guide for the day or whatever like here's all the players here's what the positions are playing here's information about the team first of all I
1: love that you just said you go to a sports ball game and sports ball game I love that sorry I let that slide but we got to continue go ahead
0: Gotta to go to the match and the touchdowns and <laughs> the, the goals. where they where they
1: get the touchdown only after you hit a home run. So go ahead. Exactly.
0: Yep. And uh so the record of games, my I don't I don't know exactly what it is, but is it is a record of games a a real thing? And if it yep. is a real thing, is it Okay, it is a real thing. Yep. Is it basically a here's all the the games and here's yep. how they were played and here's all the moves? It's just it's like a so real very,
1: very commonly um Really before the internet became what it is. And even God, I could I could go off on a tangent on this and I won't as long as the blindfold one. But I'll say that tournament bulletins. Bulletins were very common in that, in fact, there are people on staff, even when I was running tournaments, people asked me, like, Hey, are you gonna have someone putting together the bulletin? Right, which is somebody whose job it was to take all the score sheets. You know, you know the scene from from even as early as like episode two, where she walks out after winning and then tears the score sheet and drops it in the box. Remember that scene? Yeah. Uh-huh. So that's a real thing, especially in FIDE events, right? The International Chess Federation governs that every game that has a result has to have a score sheet. Not all USCF events have this, right? But let's say let's say all major events do, and so it's very common that those games somebody is manually typing them out into a physical bulletin like basically making a book of all the games every night and then at the end of the event all of those bulletins are combined into a you know basically a catalog or a a tournament report in fact i even have man in my old chess books they're not here in front of this office here because i put them at our at our chess.com um office that we have not too far from my house here um and and one of uh, one of our i think our controller bryce who does our finances was going through he's like hey like, do they still do this? And I'm like, no, not anymore. But he was looking at a book from the candidates tournament in 19, God, 71 or 70, or like the, the tournament that Fisher won to play for the world championship title in 72 versus Spassky. And the point is, that was a very real thing. So there were people that was, that was their job was to put together all the games so that the players had them, could prepare for their opponents mid-event, had the most real-time information they could. And then eventually those were often put together and sold by the organizers as a way to sort of, you know, justify the investment of the tournament. Very commonly, um, that that would be how organizers kind of made some of their money back as people buying the bulletins because they want access to all those top level games. And it's so crazy to think that not only someone would manually type them out from a handwritten score sheet, but then put it all together. And now, now people literally play on a DGT board, a digital game transmission board. And those games are automatically built into PGNs. Like right now, if you go to chess.com, you can watch hundreds of thousands of games being played that are building a score sheet before your very eyes, meaning the moves are being recorded. And the moment the game is over, someone resigns or whatever the result is in, that game is saved instantly to someone's game archive. And we literally have billions of games in our database, right? Our PHP Mm. scaling databases on the back end. That's a big part of what we do is move large data all the time because we have You know, chess.com has eight and a half million score sheets, let's say. Like not game. Like if we're talking about the score sheets here, we have eight and a half million PGNs to store every day, right? And anyway, so just crazy, right? And and but yes, it's a very real thing. And so the Hastings moment is representing that. A bunch of great games by a bunch of great players at the time who played in a in a great event in Hastings.
0: How do the over the board ones work? Let's say that there's an over the board that people are playing. Are the are the chess boards? like are the chess boards so, able so, yeah, to like, like get the moves it's or so is funny it because like, still-
1: because now over the board is is coming back a little bit uh, Tata Steel is about to take place starting January 15th 2021 which there's some controversy going on with it right now as as our second round of covid is starting to rage in Europe and whether they should be doing it I won't get into that um right now apparently they're taking a lot of measures to properly socially distance there'll be glass mm-hmm. between the players everyone uh, anyway whatever right but the, it's so interesting right to, about the times we live in But the games are played on these DGT boards, which are wooden boards that automatically have sensors, and so they are instantly relayed to the online audience to watch for not only commentators, but all the audience to watch and instantly save the PGN. But okay, that's Todd of Steel. It's a super tournament with hundreds of thousands of dollars, Magnus Carlsen and everyone else will be there. Other tournaments still operate the way I would say, which is most games are played just by people keeping score. They tear their score sheet. They deliver it to the tournament organizers' table when they're marking their result. And at some point, somebody enters that game online and it makes it into what we call TWIC, which is the Week in Chess. You can actually go to theweekandchess.com And TWIC is, in fact, the guy, Mark Crowther, um, you know, we have a, a good partnership with him. He's actually kind of a, an unsung hero among the, uh, the diehards of, of chess improvement, the professional community, because he's been running Twick now for years at a very, very low profit, if any. And it's a huge service to the community that he coordinates with all these organizers. Um, and they submit games and he puts them all together. And every week there's a Twick download. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think we're on Twik magazine number. God, I can go there right now. I download them automatically. <laughs> um, I'm actually sort of promoting a competitor in the sense I can also tell everyone, hey, if you go to chess.com/slash game explorer, we automatically import Twick, and you could just use chess.com for getting the most up to date games. But Twick, honestly, no, it's not about that. Twick is an amazing thing. What are we on issue number thirteen sixty five? So he's been doing it for thirteen hundred sixty five weeks. Wow,
0: that's crazy. Well, I mean, I think this DGT thing is really fascinating because it's almost like a hotel minibar. You know, like when you take. <laughs> something out they're like oh you got to pay us now but i think i I'm, I'm just fascinated by the technology and the sensors that are keeping track of this to me as a tech enthusiast geek i find this really cool i mean they're very expensive these yep. dgt boards but it's, no, I mean, you know if you
1: go to the weekend chess right now and look on the the right side you see our banner that we pay for um the chess.com events banner right there every board in that shot is a DGT board. That's actually from our Isle of Man event, which we hold annually. We'll be holding it again, um, in, uh, in October, um, COVID willing, as I like to say with all things now, COVID willing, we will hold the Isle of Man again. And, um, those are a lot of DGT boards is a lot of money. You're looking at right there. Yeah. Yeah.
0: The Isle of Man. Okay. The we'll Isle go back of, Man. To, uh, of Man. The Isle of Man. Um, we'll go back to that uh, blunders episode. If you want to recap, <laughs> uh, from season one, that was a fun episode. Um, all right so the biggest part of this is they're going through they're discussing games they're uh, talking about end game analysis the one line that really sticks out to me and i wanted to talk to you about this era in chess is is you know benny says you know the soviets play together as a team yep and if and if beth is going to beat them beat borgov that they are going to need a team of people right it's exciting to say hey I am not your enemy. We are not your enemy. We need to come together on this. And why was it, we may have discussed this earlier, but why is it that in this era, the United States was not playing as a team, but the Soviets were, right? And if they're supposed to be our common enemy at the time, right, the Soviets and the USSR and all this, you you know, all this stuff. And if chess was this mega thing, really kind of this time, or it's growing thing, and and, and Russia was, and, and Soviets were really investing in this, why was it that we couldn't come together as Americans? Or when did we come together? Was, this, was there a period in which it was like, oh, you know what? No, we actually are going to have, and here's this famous team. Because you see Borgov, right, yep. surrounded, especially in later episodes. You see him surrounded where this statement is true, right? Yep. Where literally at all times, the experts, the the grand masters are helping and aiding the grand masters because it's not about Borgov winning. It's about the Soviets winning. Yep.
1: So, yeah, I mean, you and I have touched on this or, or you know, I, I've given context to this in several episodes previous, just a little bit here and there. Like obviously there was the episode of Mexico city and I talked about the whole KGP experience and my own coach, Igor Ivanov, who defected, right. In a rather um, infamous way. And how real that was, not just to have the team of seconds, but the KGB following it. And and so, you know, we could go again. This is like a whole other podcast, like the history of chess evolution almost. But I will say that everything about this is depicted super well. So first of all, we'll just say that, you know, the show really nails it. I will say that um, what Benny says is 100% true in context. And part of the reason for that is... Is, I, I would the only like comparisons you can make now would almost be to, to China in this in in the uh summer and winter olympics where you where, what you have is a a state sponsored not just sport but process where there's a, expectations on um China winning gold or Russia winning you know uh, or let's say the Soviet Union winning these chess matches and they don't care who's representing um and, and everyone from a very young age is has bought into this you know process right I'm, I'm trying not to use the other word you know the, the the propaganda word right but it is it is a very real thing in fact i, I have my 15 year old reading 1984 right now by the way just fun fact on utopianism anyway sorry never mind um it's it's a it's a controversial topic but but it is true that the soviet union was a um a, a global powerhouse right and there was there were state sponsored sports where at a very young age, potentially talented people were not only recognized, but then groomed right throughout the entire process to become the best they could be. And if at some point during that process, they were sputtering enough that someone else was more talented, like the Soviet Union would mandate your job is to now be this guy's second. You're not the man anymore. right? And this was a very common thing. And in fact, to the point of accusations of tournament um, you know, coercion and conspiracies that as Fischer tried to make his way through the ranks, that he would be locked out of first because if he made a single mistake, now you know X, Y, and Z grandmaster would throw the game to the grandmaster who's a half a point ahead of Fischer to make sure that Fischer couldn't catch him. Right, and these were very these were like there's a lot of stories about this, and and the point is over time, you know, as the Soviet Union eventually fell, and um, that you know some of those stories came out and some were confirmed or denied, but it was a very real thing but even if we go away from like the negative aspect of it like whatever if there were controversy the truth is just on like a team level it was like hey like we're all in this together because mother russia is 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 the is the person trying to win here right and and you're just a, you're just a piece in that and and america even even at the height of of the fight with with russia in the west was still a capitalist country right and so at our core was very, it's a very individualistic encouraging you its achievement, its individual accomplishment, material based. And that's the capitalist culture that we have had, you know, which has its own very long list of pros and cons. Right. And, but we, you know, again, that's a philosophical, it's a whole nother discussion, but the truth is that until Fisher really proved himself as a worthy contender for the world championship title versus Bosky, and part of that was the dominant absolute insanely dominant performance he had in the candidates leading up to it. I would, you know, you would say that even the Americans were not on the same page. Eventually you had guys like Pal Benko, who was referenced in an early episode, like um, Evans, um, Arthur Bisquire. You think of grandmasters in that era, I apologize, there are many others I'm sure I should be thinking of. Um, Edmar Mednus there were many that were like in Fisher's camp that helped him. Um, and, and some of these guys exactly kind of like represent that for Beth, especially as we get in episode seven, but no spoilers. Um so, yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's a very real thing. It was a cultural uphill battle in addition to the fact that the Russians were dominant because they were individually had all the best players. As a team, their culture was also so hard to crack, which makes what Fisher did in the 70s and what Beth Harmon in many ways represents, I think, in terms of the character that, um, that kind of develops here. Um, it, was, it was such a tough battle to have to take on the, uh, the Soviets in, in, uh, in chess at that, in that era.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. It's a good good refresher of just like the period in which we're living and how this is very reminiscent and realistic to what ha- happened in the real world in this time, right? So like these depictions and this chess and this team mentality are exactly what is depicted here and I think it's just a really great telling that that you can speak, right? I think I've been listening to my wife listen to our podcast which is <laughs> funny but it's fascinating too because she'll point out parts that she things are really fascinating and it's quite fun to listen it's weird to listen to myself and you after yeah. i put it out and done it again well, I, was, I, but- I have
1: not listened full disclosure i've not listened to any of our podcasts in full besides the last one where i sounded like a blubbering internet idiot and i felt so bad with the covid oh. thing but but other than that, I have not listened to any. So, But it's fun to, yeah, I can understand what you're saying, that listening to someone else listen to us sometimes gives you a different view of like, oh, we kind of skipped over this part, but maybe that was super fascinating to talk about, right?
0: Exactly, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. All right, let's get to it, because our main crew is coming to party. Wexler, Leverton, what Lever- was it? Lever- Leverton, what is his name? Uh, Arthur, look it up. Yeah, GM, Arthur, and Cleo, our favorite Cleo. Cleo coming to party
1: (laughs) and invites her for uh for to have some alcohol but beth declines in the apartment right yes
0: um this is very very much it gives the nod to benny and you know the sort of this mutual uh agreement there
1: which is great right because she in this scene like she 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 respectfully respectfully declines and kind of turns away cleo Despite being tempted or whatever, right? And then starts playing blitz with these guys. Can we finally get to the blitz scene? The blitz scene? Come on. Right?
0: All right, let's get to the blitz. All right. Well, no, no, no. Because what okay. happens first is puzzles. You can't get oh, to I'm the sorry. blitz before I'm sorry. the puzzles. Yes, we
1: have the uh the we- Wexler. Um, sorry, I gotta
0: pull it up. The uh the Wexler three moves. He gives her three moves. Um to Right, H-
1: Hilton Wexler's puzzle. Three moves to mate. Yes.
0: Three moves to mate.
1: And this is a great example of. There is a whole culture of puzzle solving in the chess world that isn't necessarily the professional player's culture, but it is a very specific type of calculation. And the reason that puzzles are hard and can even stump some of the best players, like normally a checkmate in three that was derived from any sort of classical game, it's like a foregone conclusion that not only does the grandmaster see it, but they've already seen it, right? Mm -hmm. And and that's because the pattern recognition that develops into that is so strong. Um, But puzzles... Are unique because the position itself is irrelevant. Like as you look at this position here, and I know I'm gonna we're gonna upset people that have left comments on YouTube and on Blunders.fm that you wish we could suddenly hit a magic button and the video turns into a video, not just an audio thing. But I'm sorry, we're not doing that. I would love to be able to click, hit a magic button right now and just like the YouTube video changes, mods, and I'm showing the chess position right. But we can't do that. Um, this is unique because as you look at it, mods. Here's the thing: the position is irrelevant white is completely winning white's actually up two nights right yeah and even if you don't find the mate in three like as you have the if you have the engine running and just click on the link in the show notes everyone and go to chess.com's analysis board just have it in front of you as we talk like you know option three in the position is Bishop h5 i've been letting the engine sit here and think forever and it's plus 57.7 and the reason that's interesting context for everyone to understand is like Grandmasters don't give a flying bleep about these types of positions most of the time. Why? Because their job is to win. They're professionals. And they often will advise their students even to take the easiest path. Whatever seems the most logical and most human, you just take it. And that's actually very good uh, mental sort of discipline, right? Don't waste your time. Your job is to win and go home, right? But puzzles are about being the most precise possible, right? And that's not how a grandmaster plays tournaments, but it is always a fun and sort of unique calculation challenge. And there are some that are really into it, right? It's like a whole subculture of the chess culture, which I think that's why I wanted to talk about this because it's very funny that people don't know that. In fact, I would say grandmaster Maurice Ashley, um, who's a well-known commentator. He's actually the uh, first black grandmaster in the world. Um, Maurice is a good friend of mine. He's actually streaming on Twitch regularly now and trying to grow a channel. But Maurice is probably one of the few exceptions of a Grandmaster-level person who is absolutely obsessed with puzzles. Maurice loves puzzles. He actually makes his own puzzles. Oh, cool. Uh, um, but the point is, so the only way to get mate in three here is to play the move king to d7, which frees up the d6 square for the knight. And the knight eventually reroutes itself to e8, and there's nothing that black can do to stop checkmate, um, which is wild. But again, from a from a chess-like high level perspective, it was sort of an interesting challenge for Beth, because she doesn't necessarily she's not that into puzzles, but she still, you know, takes the challenge and and tries to find it, right?
0: Yeah, no, it it is a very, very interesting scene, because it is the first puzzle we've seen. Then I had written down here, like, are these puzzles, things that are from real games? Are they made up? Is it realistic that this would get to this level and then someone could win? You know what I mean? That's right. the questions that I had. So that's lined what I kind of but...
1: answered. It's like, it's not realistic on any of those senses because uh, it's, it, it's, a, it's a composition is what they call it. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, in sorry, a real so... game, white would have won in a more simple fashion because they wouldn't even have taken the time or given a belief about the, the fact that there was a mate in three. They don't care. They okay. just make an easier road to win,
0: right? So I, I have the puzzle up. It's, it's black to move, right?
1: Well, in, in the first position, you no, know, it's white to move. The first move is king to D7 for white.
0: Okay, king. Okay, gotcha. Okay, let me load this board up. So what we're going to do is on the YouTube channel, I'm going to record this. So I'm going to do white to move. Okay. So, okay, so D. King on D6 to D7. Got it. Okay. Now what?
1: So black has two moves. The only legal moves are either king to G7 or bishop G7. We'll do both. We'll do bishop G7 first.
0: Bishop G7. The white
1: knight moves to D6.
0: White knight moves to d6 under the king. Got it. Right.
1: And now the point is, no matter where, the only moves on the board are either bishop f8, bishop back to h8 where it was, or bishop h6. But on any of those three moves, it's irrelevant. The knight moves to e8 with checkmate. So just move the bishop on your video to any square, h6, h8, f8, and then white plays knight to e8, and it's me.
0: Knight to e8. Oh, got it. Done.
1: So so if we back up a couple moves, back up to instead of bishop g7. Okay. Let's say black plays king to g7.
0: King to g7. And this is a
1: funner ending to me. And the reason is that in this variation, it after white plays knight d6, so king g7, white again plays knight d6.
0: Knight d6,
1: got it. This is a very cool final position of the... Po- or it's not exactly the final, but it's the the penultimate whatever is it the whatever i'm I'm not good penultimate penultimate yeah um so now you see the dual purpose of knight d6 because not only does the knight coming here threaten to go to e8 but it also protects the bishop on f7 Mm. and that allows the knight on g5 to move depending on where the black king moves so i'm going to show all three checkmates if in this position after knight d6 black plays king to f8 The other knight moves to e6, and the king is checkmated. Knight g5 to e6. Mm, Got it. If the king moves back to f6, then we have the same position from the other line, where the knight goes to e8 again, and it's checkmate. Got it. The last move is the king moving to h6, and now the knight on d6 takes the f5 pawn with check and mate. The king is trapped on h6. Got it. So it is a it's a tricky puzzle if you you know if you've never seen it before because um you sort of have to visualize the whole ending from start to finish or these puzzles don't work. And again, in a professional world from the starting position, white can literally play any move and is still completely winning, but there's only one way to mate in 3 and that's with king to d7 followed by bringing that knight from b7 to d6 and then one of the checkmates that we discussed.
0: Got it. Yeah, cuz in this situation too if this was a real chess board setup, wouldn't black just resign at this point? Or do you think yes. that they would be played out? Yes.
1: Black would have resigned, especially among grandmasters for sure.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Let's get to it. Blitz chess, speed chess, blitz simul. Let's do it. Sp- Multi game sports go.
1: So anyway, the, the reason this is so interesting, I wanted to get to it is because, um, it just, uh, It it, it was talked about more than like, can it's a fair to say more than any chess scene from the whole show now that it's over? I think so. I mean, it was because how hard is it to play a blitz simul in general? And then how realistic is it that even if you were playing a blitz simul and you were like, let's say you were Magnus Carlsen or Gary Kasparov or Bobby Fischer, that you would be able to beat an international master like Benny Watts, who's basically seems like as strong as a grandmaster, right? A, A grandmaster, um, and then I forget if the other guy was a grandmaster too. Sorry. I'm, um, The, uh, the speech yes, is at least one grandmaster, Benny. And I think the other guy is.
0: I think he's just a master. I, I think he's just Wexler's, a master. But, but the
1: point yeah. is, like, so that is an insane feat to accomplish, right? And they do such a good job with it, though. One of the things I observed is that at this point in the show, the actress, right, Anya Taylor Joy, has clearly played enough chess where her body language was so confident and how quickly she moved to the boards and the way she does little things in it. In fact, I did a YouTube breakdown of this where she's capturing pieces, James, with one hand, where, um, Mm. Beginner players like they they pick up a piece, they kind of awkwardly move a piece to a square as if their hand is sort of telling their brain where to go, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's the lack of confidence is something that it's very hard to depict. It's one of the reasons Lawrence Fishburne, and what I would say was the previous gold standard for chess on screen before the show, back in the movie Searching for Bobby Fisher, why he was so amazing, because he spent so much time in Washington Square and really played bliss chess. The guy's body language was like, "Oh my god, he's a badass." Like he clearly <laughs> knows how to play blitz chess, right? Yeah. And chess players were just blown away by how great that movie was, and this scene is sort of reminiscent of that. There there's a couple awkward moments almost from her opponents and even um I forget the actor um who plays Benny. I should remember he just did a great YouTube for a, a YouTube interview for us on on the YouTube chess channel. In fact, I'll grab it and link it. Um but even he's not as smooth, but Anya Taylor-Joy like really delivers in this scene. Regardless of the feasibility of a grandmaster simul, I would say that it is feasible that someone who is supposedly that talented, someone who's like a Bobby Fisher of the era, could pull this off at least once or twice. But to pull it off, like where she kind of takes all their money, yeah. I would say that's like it's just so hard to do. Inter- international grandmasters, like, especially someone who's as good as Blitz as Benny was supposed to be. I would say this this was like a really mind-blowing scene that sets the tone that Beth should be world champion genius level way beyond these guys and that's kind of where she's headed and then the fact that her body language delivered in that scene I thought was just amazing
0: so and i think i think there's a confidence to it like you're saying the confidence of her yeah. moving the chess pieces yep. taking the chess pieces even suggesting simultaneous speed chess and 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 taking on the additional bets to get back all the money that she had lost from benny in the speed chess that they were playing earlier just one on one the confidence is there, right? And this is something that when Beth is in her element, when she is dialed in and things are aligned, she's unstoppable, right? The first time we saw her play Speed Chess, she was a little uncomfortable. She hadn't played it before. It was neuter. She thought that she was unstoppable. And and after the first loss, it kind of got under her skin, but but she has completely swapped it, you know what I mean, 100%. And And when you see her play chess throughout the entirety of this season in the series, those things are the same. Um, when she has her hands, she has her hands in one or two places, it's either on her chin or on her face. Uh-huh. When it's on her face, it's not good, right? right? Which we see later in the next scene because she's in this focus. And it's even, even, even when she has time to play, She's either underneath, she has her hands underneath and this confidence is just set down where she's looking and she's confident. She's ex- examining the board compared to where she's, she's like overanalyzing stress out about the boards when her hands are on her, right. on her head, right? It's either that's under, not really, or under, no, and it's Honestly, confidence.
1: I didn't, I made a lot of notes of it. I didn't make as hard of a note about the, that body language cue. So again, that's why you're the, the new resident chess expert. I love that because it's that's, that's very relevant and, and a lot of chess players have tells when you think of when you hear the word tells," you always think of a different game, right poker most of the time mm-hmm. is what people think of but but in chess too there are there are tells as far as how people are feeling about um which because chess is different than poker and that it's a game of complete information, which is a very important distinction to make as people who don't know as much about the culture between chess and poker sometimes make comparisons and there are a lot of great chess players who became great poker players. I'm not saying that. But it's a very different game. Like poker is, even at the highest levels, so much more luck, right? Whereas chess is maybe zero point zero 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 one percent luck. It's a game of complete information. It's not the same thing. But there are still tells in terms of how your opponent is feeling, right? And um, and because i you know, I think human nature and body language and our our presence over the board does make a difference in some psychological ways. It does matter, and, and we've talked about that. So interesting observation you made about her tells. I love that. I love it. So anyway, I did just share a link um, to the interview we had with Thomas uh, Brody Sangster. I apologize, Thomas, for forgetting your name for a second. I'm sorry. You're an awesome actor. Um, but the guy that plays Benny Watts was interviewed by our own FIDE master, Mike Klein, who's one of our top journalists. And you can check out the video on YouTube. We'll have it in the show notes.
0: Beautiful. Beautiful. All right. Anything else about this Simon Because she sweeps.
1: It was just awesome. And again, I, um, we'll, we'll give a link actually because the video is coming out. Um, to um I have a slightly more detailed chess breakdown but the main thing I wanted to say again is just giving credit where credits due that the actress and the time she spent the body language the confidence the poise and just the whole scene is super cool and it's also it's also again like maybe the blitz simul aspect is a little extreme to like of a nod in terms of breath, Beth's brilliance the, the scene itself is like, I feel like I've been there as a 14-year-old kid. And I know that sounds inappropriate, but I was traveling a lot alone in a lot of circles. And I've slept on on people's floors where when I fell asleep on a hard floor, there were still people drinking and partying and playing blitz chess around me, right? Because I was a kid who did not, did not engage in alcohol at that time, despite what you may have heard. Um, and... Um, and so just that whole scene was just kind of awesome. Anyway, it's just it is a very much a chess culture thing to like chess parties, you know, chess parties staying up late, blitzing, and and just like having a blast. And uh, you know, so it was uh it was just cool. I feel like they nailed it, and Anya Taylor Joy really nails it as far as she's clearly become a comfortable chess player in this scene.
0: Yeah, yep. And uh, you know, I think this this leads to uh Benny sort of kind of uh Unraveling himself a little bit. He was very yeah. by the book, no alcohol, no anything. Just like we're separated. You're over here. I'm over here. And there's a little connection between the two of them that occurs. But you and can say it. There's some sex that happens. <laughs> and well, I think it's and- an
1: important scene, right? Because it's not just that they have sex, that it it's like Benny breaks down his boundary almost because Beth has like conquered him. Is yep. that a, it's it's like the it's int- true. And I think that they're definitely sending a message of the era that this was not a show that was ever going to... I mean, we had some criticism for the show as far as unnecessary kind of objectification of, of maybe Beth's body when she comes in and kind of starts undressing in the scene in Mexico City, right? Mm-hmm. But other than that, there's really nothing about this show that dives into anything gratuitous in regards to sex scenes. But yeah. this was like a an important moment because... It shows that his attraction to Beth is not based on the fact that she's a woman in a man's world, and obviously an attractive woman. What he's saying is like she conquers him intellectually, and all of a sudden he like wants to be with her. Right? It's a Turn very on. interesting scene. Yep.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting scene that the wake up. I like the next scene too, where you know she's like, "That's what it's supposed to feel like," and then you know, there's there's like sort of like laying next to each other. But then Benny, of course, being Benny, right. <laughs> can't get chess out of his head, and, right. and he's like. He's like, I recommend that, you know, you should play the Sicilian. And they right. start to have this discussion and and um, she gets pissed at him, right. you know, and she's pissed and Benny's confused in the bed and she's like, rolls over. She's and like, and she's that's like, what a, you want
1: to talk about right now? I think yeah. it's some line like that. But it is interesting, but it shows like Benny is a chess player first and foremost, and his attraction to this woman goes up as she conquers him on the chessboard intellectually. She hasn't really had a relationship that she cared about where she ever like acted on those feelings. There's the, eventually there's the nod even later in this episode to towns. And we've talked about that character as far as being kind of her first love, right. That never, never came to fruition. Benny was kind of like a hero for her at some point in the chess world. Now she's conquered him and she kind of wants to enjoy the intimacy of being with him. And he's like, no, let's talk about how you're going to be Borga.
0: Exactly. Yeah. It's just, uh, I love, it. and I love that how she handles it. And she's like, Oh geez, I, I can't even right now. And, uh, and yeah, I love this entire scene. I love the setup. I love the the era. I love the simultaneous that occurs. And you know, we did get a little insight into Chloe, who is a model, right? Um, and a French model, a French model. And she says, you know, if you're ever over there, let me know. And sure enough, we are in Paris, finally, where it all began: the right. Grand Prix de Ech de Paris. The chest no, it, it's important chest. to mention
1: that if anyone has forgotten what he said, it's, remember this is where the entire show began, right? So we're mm-hmm. finally back in real time from that first scene of episode one.
0: It's all back. Yes, it is a round a day for five days plus one day of adjournment. Um, it is. This is the big times because Borgov v Harmon round two is 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 coming up. Let's just say. But I love the opening part of this. As they're in Paris, we now understand, hey, we're back to where it began. But then there is the interviews that are occurring. And Borgov is, of course, speaking in Russian. Like, how is he going to handle this? Beth gets interviewed. They ask her some cocky questions, pretty much. She handles it gracefully. And then she busts out some Russian. And Borgov gives her a stare. Yeah, It's it's
1: awesome. Well, remember the scene back in Mexico City in the elevator where, like, they're talking in Russian. And the subtitles come on the screen. And And she obviously knew what they were talking about when they say, when he kind of gives her a nod and says, Hey, no, she's a survivor like us. Like don't underestimate her. Right. Um, but remember he turns and looks at her almost like he has a feeling that she understood what they were talking about. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah,
0: I I feel like he had some insight into, to maybe she knew it was up.
1: And, and again, I know that there's, um, a lot of nods to who other characters, Beth Harmon has been, um, or was based off of. In fact, um, I'll give a link to an incredible article written by, um, an anonymous, I won't say her real name even though I've known her for a very long time. She's known as BatGirl on chess.com. Hmm. You you have you have to check this out. Um I I'm I'm going to link it I'm not going to do it right now, but BatGirl did an incredible job breaking down the specific character who uh, Walter Travis uh based Beth Harmon on from like her physical attributes, her presence. It's a whole other thing, but but her 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 talents and the, the character of the the journey of Beth Harmon to become who she is in American fighting against the Soviets was clearly based on Fisher, right? So I keep, that's the nod I keep giving. And the reason, again, this is another very strong nod to Fisher is because Fisher did this in a press conference and, mm. and Fisher spoke Russian. Got it. So again, I had, I just had to say that. That's all. And I was just, my digression was because I don't want to just overly beat the dead horse. Obviously, I know there were other potential characters but but fisher's journey and the way that beth Harmon speaks russian you know a kind of out of place in that world is um was a thing that bobby fisher uh did
0: yeah i love it i love it um all right so we progress really quick here let's just let's just get over it because the one thing i wrote down is that there these are lovely demo boards and i now know what they're called demo boards correct, demo That's boards. correct? beautiful demo boards and what we see is that beth basically just crushes every single person
1: <laughs> and uh, so i just posted the link we'll we'll have it in the show notes um as far as the, the for those who are really interested in the queen's gambit and really want to know some more context it's a great a great article um so yeah she's she starts destroying people um and uh sorry where do where do we where are we going from there are we jumping to the the game versus Borgov, or do we want to do some more breakdown
0: i think uh we have a a phone call that is uh is uh is leading to some trouble. Let's just say that. So our good friend Chloe yes. is back, and um, she tries to entice Cleo. Yeah. What did I say?
1: You said Chloe, Chloe, which is the more normal. I mean, Cleo. Cleo itself is a, is a different name than Chloe.
0: You're right. It's correct. Those are two. Di- those are two distinct different names. <laughs> <Danny>. <laughs> those are two different
1: names, Dan. Those are well two said. different
0: <laughs> spelled differently. Cleo is there. She is in town for the evening and uh-huh. tries to bring Beth down and Beth says no 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 I am not going to do it I got a big game I'm in my adjournment Oh, uh,
1: and everybody watching the show you just want Beth to stay strong and not go down right
0: I th- I thought she was going to I thought she was going to hold strong it was going to be awesome like this was the time I know it's only episode 6 of 7 but like you can do it Beth you've been doing so good but no. But you also I
1: had think. to know she wouldn't, because, even though you wanted her and thought she might because of how well she handles herself with Benny and Artie client But you already knew from the first episode, right, that she yes. wakes up in a heated hangover. You see a body in in the bed, um, which we now find out was was Cleo. Yeah. Um, and um, so, anyway, what happens? So Beth goes down. She uh, engages with Cleo. They have some drinks. They they clearly maybe started hanging out with some guys that were there, right? Mm-hmm. And then they have a a long night of whatever whatever type of sex they get into, and um, and 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 drinking and all kinds of stuff. And and there you go. Then we're then we're now we're really in present time. The next morning, where you really wish Beth had not done what she did, so that she could be fresh for Borgov, but she's not fresh for Borgov.
0: Yeah, and we don't really know what happened after that because I I'm under the impression that just two friends. Kind of passed out type of situation. That's totally you know true. What I mean?
1: That's totally true, yeah. right? I guess I was implying something that maybe, maybe, maybe that's a me problem. You're right.
0: You're we right. we don't know. We don't know because we she also know. wakes up in a bath of water, right? She's right, not even in the bed. She, yeah. Like, how would how is she even breathing? I yeah. Don't understand.
1: That's a great point. Actually,
0: I have no idea. Like, Thank I, God she didn't drown. I, that's what I'm saying. It's 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 crazy to think about because she obviously wasn't awake, or else she would have known. Anyway, she runs downstairs. Here's a fun fact for you too. She runs downstairs and meets Borgov and do you remember the outfit that she's wearing Oh
1: man I should you know why because Peter Docker's also did an incredible article on Beth, Beth Harmon's fashion sense um mm-hmm. but I don't I don't
0: So the the one that she is wearing in this scene is like this is this like green dress that is like a dark green and a light green which are the same colors of the tranquilizer pills. Oh, that she wow. Does, yeah. I will link to this insider.com article all about okay, great. the fashion behind the queen's gambit that I um Heather sent me actually. Well, I'm going to link to, to Peter's one on chess.com
1: mm. which missed the boat on that particular point, um but it, sort of a lot of people talked about that the fashion that was Anya Taylor-Joy's, uh, and Beth, Beth Harmon's character, Anya Taylor-Joy as an actress. And uh, the, uh, the, yeah, it was, there were clearly, a, just like a lot of great messages were relayed on the chessboard. And I, I've made reference many times, the fact, that I thought that the writing was incredible, like the characters are developed on the chessboard throughout the show. But um, then there's also the, uh, the fashion statements and uh, that are made as far as, I, I didn't even get that. that. That's an awesome point. I can't wait to check out the Insider article.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a great read kind of breaking this down. It's just a really there's a lot of nods throughout the entire series, really talking about how they pair this up, especially when you go into the next episode, which I'm very excited to talk about next week. Um, some fashion things that really speak boldly. And I think the designers and the um, everyone that did makeup and and design just fantastic throughout this. But I love this match. This is maybe maybe one of my favorite matches of the entire series because Beth cannot stop drinking water. I love every aspect well, of she's this. she's hung over, right? She's hung over, dehydrated, nervous as bleep, you oh know. Oh my god. And and she's just pouring water and Borgov is just staring yeah. intently. He's like so almost upset. He almost gets under her almost under his skin in a yeah. way. Where she keeps just downing this water, and they keep giving her this tiny little thing of water. Yeah, give the girl a pitcher. Yeah. of water. Give her, give her a jug. Give her a,
1: I know. Or put Get it, a five-gallon
0: jug over there, man. Just put, put it close it to
1: the table, right? Just like when when she was just starting out, you made her play on the co- coffee table, right? Yeah. You know, give her now, now, now she could use some coffee and some water at the table.
0: <laughs> oh my um, goodness, I love it. I have to say, oh. there's
1: a very famous. I'm going to share this because, again, I think one of the interesting things about doing this podcast is the unique the unique chess stories and perspective. And this is a non-PG one. But I will say that my late and great uh, coach, who was a very, very flawed human being and a, an alcoholic uh, to boot, Igor Ivanov, the one who defected uh, mm-hmm. uh, from, from uh, Soviet Union. There's a very famous story of an event he played in L.A. I was there. It was a very sad moment. But he came to the table so drunk and hungover. And in this case, there was coffee and water on the table. And at one Mm. point, he poured coffee into his cup, or though he thought, or so he thought, and was actually pouring it all over his lap. And it was scolding hot, and he was so drunk he didn't notice. That was when the arbiter ended the game in forfeit, and we took Igor to the hospital. So oh, my goodness. that was a wild story that happened as far as chess players showing up absolutely drunk out of their mind, which is a unique thing I think about chess as far as sport goes. I don't know a lot of stories of like NBA players showing up like drunk or high, right? Because of the athletic and physical demands. But I guess in some ways there are some stories of the chess world of things like that happening. So.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a realistic thing that I think, it probably happens in more situations that we're aware of than we're aware of. You know what I mean? I feel as though this happens in life. (laughs) So, um, you know, it is what it is. And what are you going to do? And unfortunately for Beth, this is a, uh, fascinating game. I, I did a move to move breakdown in the Explorer. We also loaded up the Fen, but we get a, uh, Sicilian, uh, defense open a Shen, Scheveningen, a Sozin, and a flank variation Man. all in this beautiful thing. I don't know Sozin. that we want to,
1: we don't need to record this one necessarily, but I will, um, I will get to the position starting with, let's say, Bishop H6 and then Knight to E8. We'll go to move 11. Is that okay? Okay. Yep, I'm there. So, um, Again, I don't have any proof of this, but this particular variation was very popular um, in the world championship match between Nigel Short and Gary Kasparov in 1993. Um, you can Google it, my uh, my my chess brothers and sisters, if you want to just look into it. Just just Google Nigel Short versus Kasparov or Gary Kasparov or something like that. But the, the Wikipedia, it was sometime in the fall, I think, of 93. In fact, I'll bring it up. Yeah, actually, okay. Night, September 7th through October 21st. That was a world championship match. And um, this particular variation of the Sheveningen was played and it was popular in the 90s era. And because we know Kasparov was a consultant on the show, even though the game itself, we have a link to it. Um, we can actually send you to to either Vots' Explorer or I'll even give one to chessgames.com, which is also a great website. Um, the game was between Megaranto versus Lanier Dominguez Perez. Um, but um, anyway... This is uh, there you go. I, I think it was an homage or more influence of Kasparov choosing a variation of the Sicilian to play. I could we, should, we could maybe reach out to Gary and get confirmation of that, but I think so. We'll just say that we'll just say that I'm right, and uh, yeah, we'll just go with that.
0: So, so in this opening here, you know, Beth in her state, how how did she do? She did she did good. Mm-hmm. Like the the this
1: whole position here. I mean, after Bishop H6 ninety eight. Is guarding the checkmate on g seven. The move bishop h six threatened queen takes g seven checkmate, um, and the pawn on g seven was pinned to the king. So ninety eight is an only move. But this is this whole game is like is like all theory still, especially on move eleven. By theory, and theory is a term used to say it's theoretically considered best, right? So it's mm-hmm. a short short term chess terminology, right? If we say things like dunk and three po- three point shot right you know i you know what sport i'm talking about if i say touchdown or wide receiver right and chess terminology theory is a very common term for just shorthand saying this variation was considered theoretically best at the time so this yeah. was th- this was theory um and uh, anyway the game goes on and they get a very very standard position i think that even as far as move Sixteen. They're still playing positions that have been played by by multiple players, not just the Lanier Dominguez Perez game. Um, and then the game ends with, or at least our report here in the Explorer, with Bishop of C one. Eventually, this game, following the Megaranto versus Lanier Dominguez Perez, was a draw. But she plays very well. I mean, she plays she plays fine despite wearing the green dress and being hungover.
0: Yeah, and we, I guess, we don't really get to see the end game at all in this. From no. what I can remember, it's just. Something breaks down while she's continuously chugging water nonstop. Yep. Yep. Her hands, you will see if you rewatch this episode yet again, she starts to get into that position, which is yep. the same position with her hands on the sides of her face of the last Borkov game. And she just, that's it. It's like, it's all theory up until move 18, 19. And then something happens and something breaks down. Unfortunately, we don't get to see it because it would be a great end game to kind of watch to see where that went but um she resigns and walks away yeah
1: and there's the there's like the well in the beginning of the whole show we have the flashback right yeah um and so there's there's just um uh, you know I, I don't know to me like because we know the beginning of the show because we know the way this ends it was sort of like this was sort of a make-or-break point, a make-or-break episode. And I don't want to get into what happens in the final episode. Um, but where, you know, she's kind of, like, reached a crossroads, right? It's like now it's time for her to, like, understand that she has to be better the next time she faces Borgoth. There are no late-night parties with with uh, Miss, Miss uh, Cleo, right? And I think that she kind of has, like, reached the crossroads of, like is she going to let her demons get the best of her, right? Or is she going to like the next time she's there do something different, right? And mm-hmm. I think that that's like the moment of how powerful this loss is and how frustrating it is because you felt that she was primed and poised to deliver and then, you know, kind of the late night party got the best of her and she once again falls short. Um and it's it's kind of a it's kind of a somber moment, right?
0: It is. It's sad, I think because we had such success up to here, especially her crushing the boys you know her crushing everybody up to this point um watching the demo boards go by just like watching all of this um it's it's a sad somber moment because we her 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 state of mind her preparation were there And then unfortunately, Cleo, I don't want to blame Cleo because, you know, I think Beth needs to take responsibility for, you know, going down, having drinks and uh, the night before one of the biggest matches, right? I mean, of, of her life, not the biggest, we're going to get to it. But, uh, you know, I, I feel as though, Hey, you, you do the crime, you, you, you do the you do the crime, you pay the pay time. The, time. That, the crime pay the time. fits
1: the punishment. No, pun, or, the no, punishment okay. you, you were right. You were the, right.
0: Yeah, a, a toe for a attack and for a toe, <laughs> an eye okay.
1: for an eye, as they say. Um, no, um, uh, no, but you're right. And and you know, then the rumors start to spread that she was drunk, you know, or at least mm-hmm. at least over, And then she heads back to Lexington. And then the episode brings us more kind of, you know, I don't want to say depressing moments, but tough moments, right?
0: Well, you know, Mr. Wheatley shows up. So that's always a good time. Love that guy.
1: Love that guy, Mr. Wheatley, huh?
0: What a good solid dude. What a a good dude. Um, The worst. Anyways, Mr. Wheatley doesn't want to sign um, the house away to Beth um, in this. It's the very first thing that happens. Her lawyer calls, says this. They meet up. Mr. Wheatley, just a piece of garbage. Yep. um, To be honest, can't even look her in the face. Just anything at all. I mean, you know, Beth buried in Mrs. Wheatley. She paid for those expenses out of her pocket. Mm-hmm. I mean... And she loved this, Mrs. Wheatley. I mean, it was her mom. Yeah, you know, it was her, her mom. Her, yeah. Ugh. Anyways, so she, Beth, buys the house mm-hmm. <laughs> from him. I love it. Was it wasn't very expensive. Like, what, $1,700 yeah. or something like that? It's amazing.
1: Yeah. It's just, it pretty awesome back then. Yeah. And I could go for a house like that.
0: Yeah. And, um, you know, she gets real excited. I think this is a... She, she has her own. She, it's her. She owns it. She starts to redo everything in the house and but then something really odd happens which is you know she gets a call from the the christian crusade and i want to ask you about this right who wants to send her to russia because she why does she get to go to she gets to go to russia because she was invited or was it because she was in the the paris open final it was the why.
1: that this this goes back to where she won the U.S. Um, the ah. remember Paris Paris was an invitation that happened back when Mrs. Wheatley was even still alive, right before mm. they even went to Mexico City. This yes. event was already on the agenda. In fact, it's sad because Mrs. Wheatley, who was looking forward to Paris, never got to go. Right? Yeah, yep. Um, but no, the U.S. Championship one was where she won the right. And again, I I kind of commented in that episode. I think it was a couple ago that that was sort of an odd thing. I don't know that that really existed in the chess world. Um, Not to say the top player in the US wouldn't be invited by being the top player to some of these events, but I don't remember a direct correlation ever between like winning the US championship and being brought to like play in Russia, right? But okay, it doesn't matter. Um, But what is very realistic is again, and I, you know, I don't know enough of the details. I'm not an expert on Bobby Fisher's life in a way that many other would be more qualified, but I, I, you know, obviously know more than a lot of people. And I can say that there was a very common trend in Fisher's life where he was offered to be the, what would it be? Like the spokesperson, right? Or Amba- ambassador, ambassador for brands with mm. a lot of money on the table for different things. And he said no to most of them. Um, and... Um, This particular one is interesting because obviously the Christian crusade presents it as, Hey, we're in a battle right now between Jesus and the communists, you know? And Hey, whose side are you on? Jesus or the communists? (laughs) Sorry. I (laughs) I love it. Um, That's true. It's true. But, um, yeah. And, and Beth ultimately, of course, we know turns it down.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she, well, she, you know, she gets a call from Benny and, Mm -hmm. um, and, you know. In this, she's kind of starting to fall apart a little bit. She doesn't yep. she's kind of lost hope in, in herself, right? She's lost. Um, I mean, it's a big, it's a big battle, right? She's there by herself. Yeah, it was
1: the loss to Borgoff. She comes home, the house, and now she's in a battle again, all alone by herself.
0: She doesn't know what to do, and she spirals out of control. I mean, she's supposed to be playing at the Kentucky Open. She's got this crazy eyeliner on. She's drinking heavily. She's just it's it's a spiral. It's a it was like 10 minutes of her spiraling down hill. Yep. Basically it's a spiral. It's, uh, scene. Spiral scene. it's a spiral. It's a spot. It's like a spiral staircase. You know, like how you start, yep. like this is going to be great. And then you like fall down, no. but now you're like no. spiraling and you're dizzy, down.
1: And uh, you know, the angles are very, sh- are very tight, tighter than they first looked. But you're halfway down the spiral staircase. So there's no turning back. You just got to
0: keep going. You got to keep going. We've gone too far. Yep. And uh, yeah, this is a, this is kind of a bummer because you, this, this is a, a bummer ending up until the five last five seconds, but you know um, we had such high hopes at this point, I think at least I did. And then this to go down and even after she bought the house, she started to redo it, make it her own. But then this spiral just really occurred and you, you feel terrible because it's reminiscent of um, just. Well, she's
1: reliving, she's reliving the past, right? It's like, she's drinking, she's dancing. She's reliving painful memories. By the way, if you can hear my kids in the background, everyone, that's just going to have to be a part of the podcast. So I apologize about that. That's
0: (laughs) That's life. That's life. That's
1: life. They're the um, dad's new studio at home is not totally set up yet. And the office was not ready for me to record um, because we actually had some trouble yesterday with the the first show I did from the new studio. The sound was not great. So anyway, long story short, sorry about that. Um, But the um yeah i mean it's the spiral is real and it's depressing like i said and i guess i kind of jumped the gun by saying she's reaching the crossroads after losing to Borgov, but it already started like she you know she, she she engages you know with with cleo again not cleo's fault cleo's just a friend right then then she loses another game where her where she was clearly so prime now she's it's not just that she's turning down the christian crusade and benny's advice it's more like what it represents to like Like the fact that she just like all of a sudden just wants to be alone again, doesn't want any help. I mean, you could argue maybe it was a good thing to deny the Christian crusade. And um, without getting it, this is interesting for like the real people who want to dive into Fisher's life. There was a lot of, a lot of conspiracy theories that Fisher was also a communist. Um, And at the time, not that that would, I don't even care, you know, whatever. But like there were all kinds of like weird political things that circled, especially because of Fisher's, unclear like where his parents stood um as um anyway all kinds of weird lineage rumors and things like that so like it was just a funny thing for her to turn down the christian crusade to not take on the communists i, I made a note of that that it was also another like reference to like interesting things that happened um but eventually what happens here so how does she get out of the spiral right our good old buddy i mean he does it, doesn't doesn't get out of the spiral but guess who guess who arrives at her door
0: Well, so our good friend Beltic is back.
1: Yeah, and and it's important because he's, you know, at this point, Harry's looking kind of right, right? Because remember where he left her was kind of like saying, hey, you're becoming Morphe, right? Or you are Morphe, who we know died of substance abuse at a young age, and it was not a very pretty thing. And so for him to kind of show up to me is kind of like we've reached the climax of our spiral, right? Like he's like the he's the guy who kind of said this and, and now he's here and she's been distracted. And, um, and now she gets called to come in for this photo op at the, at the high school.
0: Yeah. the It's like exactly where she won uh, against Baltic, right at the Ken, Kentucky state championship. Yeah, many
1: and, moments.
0: and she's, I mean, she's, like I said, the eyeliner, she's looking a hot mess. I don't even know what's going on. She's trying to emulate the, the artists and stuff that are on the screen, but her teeth are just, everything is, not, yep. good not, not good. It's not good. And
1: she and she goes there, and the reason I definitely wanted to talk about the scene is not just because of the the character stuff. Where like, if I was looking at this whole episode, it's like the buildup, the greatness, like what she she conquers, kind of Benny, and then she like. Gives into old ways, and it could be really hard. Like, this was a moment in the show where when I saw it for the first time, I didn't know what we were going to get in episode seven. Like, do the demons win, or does Beth Harmon win? And find out, everyone. If you don't know, you're going to find out next week on on (laughs) Blunders. Um, but, But this was, I had me on the edge of my seat because Harry Beltic shows up as sort of the pinnacle of this, and then she goes and sees Annette Packer, right? And this was a very powerful scene for me because... She goes to the high school and sees this girl who she beat in her first term back when they were both like up and coming and kind of bonded. Not just if you remember, not just over the fact that they were, they were kind of being demeaned as two of the only women in the event, but then also, right. She had her first uh, menstrual cycle, right. She had her first period Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and they bonded. So, and what does Annette tell her in this episode? Like basically like, Hey, like you became my hero, right. Um, You know, that basically Beth became like this incredible, like she's like, wow, like you, you know, I just, I wanted to meet you kind of thing. I wanted to see you again. I forget what she actually says, but the energy of the moment is, is that Beth became something really important to Annette Packer. And I thought that was super important as like a little bit of a wake up call when, when, as you said, Beth is, Beth is like, you know, lipstick on teeth. Like, you know, like just what, she's a, she's a hot mess, right? Yeah.
0: It's, 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 it's not good, but you know, we do have someone that is uh, here to save her. I think yeah. uh, straight up is at the very, very end of this episode, our blast from the past. Jolene comes back. Our favorite, maybe yeah. one of our favorite characters. besides Beth. And I to like towns too is, yeah. uh, is Jolene. She makes a comeback.
1: If I had one character I wish was in the show more, it was Jolene. And I didn't even yeah. know how much I missed Jolene until she shows up.
0: True. Because the next episode, Jolene is just, I, I love, I love, I love every part of it. I love every part of, Her, where, what she's become, where she's going, how she's there for Beth through thick and thin. And, uh, what a great person and a great character that, yeah, we deserve more of in this series, I think.
1: Well, and a great, a great foreshadowing by you for next week about what we're going to dive into. I I don't know how many people are listening to this who've literally been holding off finishing the show. Right. To do it with the podcast that that's probably I mean, please actually leave a comment. If you're one of those few who like said, you know what, I randomly found this podcast before I had seen the show and I've been following it. Please do leave a comment because I would I'm curious if any of you exist. (laughs) I'm going to guess most people have now seen it and are choosing to listen to our content because, you know. they they enjoy it or maybe they're lost on the internet and somehow they're accidentally here. That seems like it's probably the majority of you, but you know,
0: (laughs) they somehow randomly (laughs) randomly stumbled upon it. Oh, (laughs) interesting. Who who are these people? That's
1: I I got nothing else to do. So. (laughs) Oh my goodness.
0: Oh, I think that's going to do it for this week's coffee house blunders. I'm so excited for next week, Danny, the epic conclusion Of the Queen's Gambit, I can't wait to rewatch it. I have watched it. I know what happens, but I have not rewatched it. And when you rewatch it for the second or eighteenth time, (laughs) it is the most amazing, like thing. You just discover so many great things. I cannot wait to discuss this epic, epic conclusion. Yeah,
1: ditto. And I'll say, especially because of how the chess world felt about the way it ended and and non chess world right i mean obviously we know it's a very critically acclaimed show and and was listed again it got some recent love as one of the best shows of 2020 um so so yeah we're going to do it uh we'll we'll finally be able to just talk about every episode with no more spoilers again if you are one of the few please leave a comment and let us know cuz i just i am gen- generally curious um but all right man i can't wait for next week
0: all right, me too. All right, don't forget to, like Danny said, read or sorry, write a comment on the YouTube page on blunders.fm or just send us an email. There's a contact button on blunders.fm. Super appreciate it. So until next week, this has been your Coffee House Blundas.